0: The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on.
1: Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Emma Heard, your host for today's show. I hope everyone out there listening is seizing the day with us and enjoying a nice cup of tea. Later in the show, we'll be chatting about plants that our guests have brought in, as well as many fun topics along the way. So let's wander down the garden path together and I'll introduce today's guests. I have the pleasure of introducing returning guest Stephen Ryan reputable plant specialist from Dixonia Rare Plants and co-presenter of the YouTube channel, The Horticulturalists. Welcome, Stephen.
2: Good morning, Emma.
1: Nice to have you here. Also with us is the wonderful Jeremy Francis, reputable plant expert from the Edwardian Arts and Crafts Garden, Cloud Hill in Alinda. Welcome.
3: <laughs> I don't think I've ever been pulled reputable before. <laughs> oh, I think. And well, there's a first is. for everything. It's <laughs> only oh. a statement that's never.
1: Well, I'm glad to be the first. <laughs> yeah, welcome. How are you both?
2: <laughs> well, I very, can't complain. Oh, I'm very good. Yes. It's, yes. Uh, it's all getting morning. slightly yep. autumnal out there. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's nice, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I do like the autumn. It's got to be one of my favourite seasons. You still get some nice days. The weather tends to be a little more settled, so it's not often as windy. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Yeah, and, you know, if you get a little bit of mist or you get a little bit of rain as you go along, um, it's, yeah, there's something about the mellow fruitfulness of autumn that I enjoy. Yeah, it's my favourite time of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I agree. I really think it's a a gardener's playground.
2: And, of course, when you do live in the hills, as we all do, albeit Mm. different hills, um, of course, we're sort of heading towards that crescendo of the autumn in a sense when, you know, autumn coloured leaves are starting to turn a little bit. I've got Virginia creeper turning at the nursery and there's a few maples around my area that are already starting to show colour. So, um, yes, it's it's about to start.
1: (laughs) But I would say the inflorescences last a bit longer for us, you know, Mm. so that's nice too. You get what you're talking about, the mellowing of the Mm. colours of autumn and the senescence of the leaves and then you've still got you know, flowers yeah. coming through. Like I've still got dahlias and my This is just flowers. Yeah. Like it's just so beautiful.
2: Yeah, I've got my little uh, autumn cyclamen coming up in drifts all over the garden at the moment, looking yeah. gorgeous with their little pink and white shuttlecocks everywhere. Yes. Um and they're always a good harbinger of the season as well. I do mm. like the little um, cyclamen hedrafoliums. I think they're such good little workhorses.
1: Yes, you're mm. right. They're they're good harbingers and mm. so are the, the belladonna lilies. Oh, they're, yes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a little out.
2: more overt. Mm.
0: Well, yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes, with their great big pink or white trumpets, but yes, they're, they're pre- great fun.
1: I do prefer the subtlety of the of the cyclone, yeah. but the, the belladonna's really, you know, make a pop.
3: Yes. They certainly do. <laughs> yes. yes, we slashed our meadow a couple of days ago and mm. um, yeah, a few... Um, uh, autumn crocus. Oh yes, the, 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 you probably have a few colchicums coming yeah, up, the, the, things they, like that. Yeah, the colchicums, and, uh, and do you but feel the, bad the taking? Donna, them down? Well, yes, we we shaved off the uh, well a few the, the early flowers, but the there'll the, be more. But, but they, they keep coming for quite a long time. Yeah. Yeah. and and yes, and the belladonna really is shot up and you think, where on earth did they come from?
2: (laughs) They're one of those plants, aren't they? They just suddenly erupt out of the ground uh, and um, somehow or another they just seem unexpected because they're such big, blousy, Mm. sort of high-season flowers in a way and for them to come out as they do right at the end of the season. And um, very
1: frequently people have them in their nature strip so it's just like lawn and then
2: some
1: belladonna (laughs) lily and they just, I mean, I do like them but they look quite odd.
2: Yeah, well, I think a lot of flowers that come up without any sense of having foliage with them do look slightly yes. weird. Yeah, And sometimes it can be hard to sort of sit them into a garden setting uh, and make them look natural because they mm. almost look like somebody's just shoved flower stalks in the ground.
1: Well, I mean, that's yeah. what – people have just shoved a few bulbs in the ground, yeah. so I guess you can say, really. that yeah. I mean, they don't really naturally occur in Australia. they are implanted, no. so mm. –
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. not all that natural. No, <laughs> no, but yeah,
1: it's um, it's a lovely time of year.
2: Yeah, oh, I enjoy it. So everybody should be out and about and having a lovely time this long weekend, uh, yeah. enjoying their garden or enjoying somebody else's garden. Mm. Um, actually, I was down at the Botanic Gardens uh, yeah. last week doing yes, some I've been, filming. Been uh,
1: working there quite a lot.
2: Have you? Mm. And uh, yeah, it was fantastic. It had been a while since I'd done some really serious sort of looking. Around mm. the Botanic Gardens. And so we spent the whole day in there filming for the YouTube channel. Oh. And um, I keep finding plants I didn't know were there, which is part of the charm of a Botanic Gardens because there's just so much plant material in there. You can't possibly take it all in. Um, and so we had great fun. We interviewed Tim uh, Entwistle and oh, did three other stories around the garden on different topics. So it was great.
1: That's wonderful. I mean, it does sound interesting. I'm keen to hear more about it, but we actually have our first caller. I haven't opened up the lines yet. Hopefully it's nothing bad. (laughs) Hello. Uh, Hello, Hello, uh, Michael.
4: Yeah. G'day. I I just thought I'd call in early because I know you get uh, callers coming in late.
1: Oh, Uh, that's all good. You want to hear about how to prune to avoid reshooting?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. When I prune, um, I, I, I just I, I, I need to know how to stop the um, uh, the regrowth coming through. Um, what
1: are you pruning? So,
4: oh, I'm, I'm pruning everything. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, and are you oh, making
1: I, them into hedges, or is it a, a tree, or?
4: Um, I've got I've got a lot of natives, but I've got a I've got a few other sort of non-natives, and um, what, what what happens you, you know is is that you, you get this reshooting coming through. Uh, Mm. Uh, Look, I hate
2: to be a a, a, a naysayer, but pruning invigorates plants Mm. in general. Now, Uh, how you slow plants down, particularly deciduous trees like fruit trees and things, is to prune them in high summer, but it doesn't stop them. I mean, they'll they'll still reshoot, but they just don't shoot with the same vigor that they will if you prune them in the winter. So it just slows things up. But um, pruning is not a technique of managing plant material long term because if you've got a big root system under a plant and you give it a good hard pruning, what it tends to do is send it into lots of new growth and no. uh, that's just the nature of how these things work. So what you may have to do is you may have to assess whether the plants are actually the right plants for the right spot because if you can plant things that grow more or less naturally to the re- the required height and size, then you don't have to prune them at all. Yeah. Um, yep. And that's and generally the better technique if you're trying to manage plant size in the garden. So if you
1: can avoid mm, pruning every year yeah. and prune maybe do a – every second or every third year now, for a lot of things. Yeah,
2: yeah and yeah. certainly summer pruning will hold things back a bit, particularly deciduous trees and shrubs. Uh, but this but, is quite yeah. general information
1: because yeah. it's such a broad range of things mm. that you're pruning.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I understand, yeah. Um, okay, so there's no, there's no sort of like uh, – um, Sealant, sealant or anything like that that, that,
2: that, no. that you can use mm-hmm. no. No, no 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 there's no. no inhibitor of growth that i'm aware of that yeah, you can get yeah there's
4: definitely
1: hormones that are available in the commercial market yeah. but they're not available for um everyday at home use
2: and they would be needed for specific things yeah. not yes. for a general garden thing so they yeah,
1: they're, they're okay. more like gibellins and that and that's for growth really yeah. um there's inhibitors, but I I couldn't tell you the names of them. No,
2: and right. and you won't be able to no. um, purchase them anyway. Yeah, and they would work on some things and not on others, so it wouldn't be a um, yeah, then, you know, silver bullet for any problems you've got. They're
1: really not worth oh, okay. meddling with um, for a, for an at-home no, at home gardener.
4: No, no, no. I'm 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 semi semi. Um, Qualified, but uh, oh,
1: sure. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to um, assume. Yeah,
4: yeah. but um, yeah, no, that, that that that's okay. That's uh, yeah, that that's interesting. Um,
5: mm.
4: Yeah, so all right, okay. Well, well I'll I'll look into it. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just doing so much pruning uh, recently, sort of thing, it's been uh, you know overwhelming, sort of thing, and mm. uh, and. Um, I'm just trying to trying to keep this all, all, all of this under control, sort of thing. So, sure.
1: how big is your yeah. garden?
4: Uh, um, so I'm, 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 I'm on a three-quarter acre block. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, things things have been growing rapidly around here. Mm. And uh, Where, just, whereabouts just, are you? michael so um, forest hill mm-hmm. uh and i'm I'm just trying to keep things uh obvi- obviously we 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 we're coming into uh, autumn and all that sort of thing so um i thought uh i i'd, I'd uh, clean clean it clean it cleaning everything up sort of mm-hmm. thing and uh um you know, just uh, keep keep everything in order. So,
1: uh, well, we do know, wish you all the but, uh, best with that. Thank you for calling in.
4: Yeah. If you not, do, you have any problem. other questions? No, no, that's fine. That's fine, and, and um, I'll keep listening. Yeah. So, oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah. All, right. all, all, all the best.
1: Thank all you, the best. Michael. And, and have a lovely Sunday. Yeah.
4: It's
5: See you then.
1: Thank you. Bye. <laughs>
3: It's one of the ultimate garden uh, problems, actually, trying to figure out the the growth of plants and what they're likely to do. And there's Mm. always that trap um, (laughs) people selling conifers that grow so far in 10 years. And certainly we've got one or two. Uh, which are meant to grow to about two meters in mm-hmm. ten years, and you look at them. Well, they've been in the ground for twenty-five years now, and they're, and they're, they're more like twenty-five meters high. And yeah, thinking, they're trees. How does that work? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes.
5: uh, yeah. So uh,
3: yeah, there's no one size fits all with no, plants, unfortunately. And and, and and it is and it is something which the longer you're working with a particular garden, yes. the, the, the more of a thing it becomes. And certainly in in uh, labels. Well, can well, this season's been good. Everywhere we had a lot of very wet spring, and then we've had enough uh, uh, rainfall through the summer to keep things moving. Mm. The, the water table's been high, and so things have just been growing throughout. Yeah, um, but it's a it's a big problem in that this is absolutely at the centre of uh, gardening in well Mount Macedon and and. Uh, and the Dananongs where you we the trees have their roots right down into the water table, and they just keep moving and mm. and you walk into old gardens and And they're always overgrown, and and the whoever planted them originally. And I can think of walking into Edna Walling Gardens and thinking,
2: "Well, it was a herbaceous border somewhere here, but where? Yeah, (laughs) it's all (laughs) gone into a forest. Yeah, and Um, yeah, well, gardening is not a a destination; it's a journey, definitely. So it's it's got to evolve and change. And I, I have to say, I've got my garden now is. 35, 40 years old, um, and I started from a basically blank canvas. Um, I did a lot of soil preparation, uh, worked really hard on it to get it started because it wasn't a particularly auspicious site that I bought. Um, Mm. And now some of my trees are getting to a stage and you think, well, do I need it anymore?
5: Mm. You know,
2: sometimes Um, you've just got to assess the tree and say, um, is it still functioning for what I want it to do. Yes. And if it's not, I don't have any real qualms about removal. I think yes. that's easier sometimes than um, uh, than trying to manage the size of a tree. And sometimes if, in, it's...
1: if in doubt, call an arborist.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. Mm. Um, but certainly, you know, I know enough about what I'm doing in my own yes. garden to decide, all right, well, that tree's now... Uh, overshadowing everything the Mm. garden's losing some of its oomph so I need to reassess it and I quite like the idea that you know I grew that I've enjoyed it Uh, it's now time for it Mm. to go because some people can't see their garden for the trees oh yeah so you need to assess everything that's in the garden and say all right well is it just a green thing that's there and I'm mm. just keeping it because it's there? Mm. Or would it be better gone and I've then got a gap that I yeah. can put something new and more interesting into oh, potentially? Yeah. So, Managing
1: your canopy is lots of fun. Like, yeah. Basically. And, you know, it, it
2: will. I spend uh, quite a lot of time travelling overseas. And one of the gardens we visit in northwest France that belonged to Princess Sturdza um, Her garden staff uh, spend a good percentage of the year thinning canopies and opening Mm. up and making things more transparent um, and so that you can see through the canopies of all her trees and and the light is allowed through from above. So sometimes it's not a matter of removal of the tree, but it's a matter of thinning it out and opening it up so that it allows Mm. for more light and and interest in the garden. So um, Well, we have
1: a small Quercus roba and it was overshadowed by quite a large fraxinus, Mm. so we we trimmed the fraxinus down quite a lot and now it's flourishing after only about a year or two. It was kind of languishing in the shade. It just wasn't getting enough light and there was a lot of dead wood in it, so we pruned a lot of the dead wood out. I I expect it's quite stunted for its life because there is a peppermint gum and a acacia – oh, it's a blackwood – and it's you know giving lots of shade as they tend to do.
3: Ultimately, we've got to think in terms of spaces. Yes, and yes. Uh, and uh, vegetation forming blocks and, and the spaces. And you actually maintain a garden that really, in the in the medium to long term, has to maintain spaces. Mm. Um, and and voids. Pruning and... is is right at the heart of it. Of course, right. We're we're right in the middle of uh, renovating a beach hedge which mm. was planted back in 1992. Oh, yes, Copper I know that head well. It's just beautiful. <laughs> well, uh, but well three years ago work. it was up <laughs> a metre higher than it should have been it was and it was three metres wide. In fact, it was a little bit more than three metres wide. And so um, the winter before last, we cut it right back to the trunk on one side and cut the top off um, um, a little bit. We... we continue that process, process a little bit this summer mm. and this winter we're hoping to take back the remaining face mm. but it looks very peculiar at the moment. It's, yes, <laughs> it's yes. a very tight hedge on one side and a very loose hedge on the other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of
1: gardening is trusting the process yes. isn't it? Well that's yeah. right yeah. Yes, you've got uh, to
3: look far enough ahead. Yes, yes. And, yes. The, and the theory of spreading this over two or three years is to reduce the uh, the pressure on the individual trees.
1: Yes, hold the vision, trust yeah, the process,
3: <laughs> and, and that's it, and particularly important with beech because they, the the beech have a very thin bark, and if you expose that bark to direct sunlight, <laughs> uh, you don't it, want it to you burn. Damage the bark, and and, you, and the hedge dies. So it's you, you've got to do it little bit by little bit, but. Planting a hedge, for instance, it's, uh, either you plant something which continually grows and the hedge eventually takes over the garden or you plant something which can be cut back occasionally. Mm. Mm. Hence the and, reason and, for not planting
2: cypress hedge.
3: Yes, yes, cypress macrocarpas, uh, mm. well, they do take
2: over gardens. Yeah, so they So they, they
3: become magnificent, but all you have is a hedge eventually. Yeah,
2: because yeah. Yes. you can't c- cut back below yep. greenery. So what, as soon as you go back into old wood that part of the hedge dies. So, yes. yeah, so Macrocarpa and some of those other cypressy type hedges, they can look really smart if they're beautifully trimmed mm. uh, and and because it's so fine, it makes a lovely textural quality. But, yeah, they're not a good long-term hedge, I don't think, not in, specifically in a smallish garden. Mm. Yeah, so we, uh, most of our hedges
3: are Hornbeam or Beech simply because they can be renovated yeah. maybe once every 15, 20 years. So... Someone yes. else's job next time. I was going to say, are you looking
2: forward to doing it in another 15 or 20 years, well, Jeremy? I
5: yes,
1: well. well, that's the thing, hornbeam take a while to establish, but once you've established them, they're really great.
2: Yeah, and,
3: and, and people have seen said... And I have seen a hornbeam hedge, and I'm sure you've seen it, mm. Stephen, that. Uh, in, uh, outside Vienna, mm. uh, which I think is about 250 years mm. old, and I'm sure that's been renovated 10 or 12 times mm. Mm. over yes. those years. Yeah. It, it, the, the Two hedges forming the, mm. the, bone, the, the structure to this extraordinary garden
5: running well, out. Well, there's a reason the, uh, they
1: use them in Versailles. You yes, know. There's, yes. There's a good, good and, reason yeah,
5: for exactly. it. Exactly,
1: yeah. Well, I, I love this conversation, but let's get on to some garden announcements.
2: Yes, because there's a few things going on, is there not?
1: There is. So this is the final day for the Ferny Creek Hort Society's Plant Collectors Expo. Uh, they're at 100 Hilton Road in East End of, in uh, Sassafras. Uh, they're behind the Ferny Creek Recreation Reserve and all the info is available online at fchs.org.au And today and tomorrow the 13th are the Ballarat Begonia Festival. So they're running from 10am till 5pm, and festival goers can expect vibrant floral displays, markets, live music, family activities, roving entertainment, and more. That sounds like fun. And the the conservatory there is quite beautiful. Like, it's, um, it's a glass conservatory, quite modern. It's really lovely. Um... And you can find more information there at Ballaratbegoniafestival.com. Encouraging Women in Horticulture are having a native bush food and medicine workshop kindly delivered by Sonia from Dance of the Plants. That's taking place on March the 25th at 10am till 12pm at the Selby Community House. This can be booked via the EWHA website, which is www.elby.com. E-W-H-A.com.au, and you can click on Upcoming Events. Uh, another one, Karanga Native Nursery. They're at 118 York Road in Mount Evelyn. They're having their Labor Day plant sale. And today's the last day for it, although it does say that they will continue until all plants are sold out. So getting quick
5: yes. is the is Yes, the if you want the good ones. <laughs> yeah, if you want
1: the good ones. Also today, Open Gardens Victoria, today is the last day for the Edible Garden at 20 Imperial Avenue, Mount Waverley, 10am till 4.30. Zophia's garden system is almost fully sustainable, generating her own electricity through solar panels as well as harvesting water within three water tanks. Chickens lay eggs, provide manure and rework the compost from garden waste, leaves and lawn cuttings. It includes a worm farm and ponds for edible water plants and habitat, beehives for pollination and honey, espaliered apples, limes, pears, apricots, avocado, nectarines and lemons. There's big raised veggie gardens and no dig beds. So there's lots there that you can ask her about, you know. If, if you're starting out, this is – or, or if, you're, if you're quite well-versed in gardening, it sounds like a lovely garden to attend. So entry is $10, students are $6. And under 18s are free. Um, Some of the proceeds will be donated to the Ashwood Permaculture Garden. There's also the Cottage Garden. And this is at 2 Lily Street in Glen Waverley from 10am till 4.30. Terry's eclectic garden on a suburban block has evolved since 1994 and is home to a myriad of roses, a variety of fruit trees, medicinal plants, um, and they share their beds with perennials and native plants. Everything in the garden is designed to encourage birds, beneficial insects and other wildlife. And it's all off tank water. So again, the prices are the same as before. $10 for adults, students $6 and under 18s are free. And tickets are available online or at the gate. So visit Open Gardens Victoria website if you'd like to buy them online or just buy them at the gate. Uh, The 18th and 19th of March, we have Cape Otway Farm at 1,300 Cape Otway Road in Motoware. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce this properly. Do you, do you guys know how to pronounce motor, Motorware? No. No, that's all right. That's all right.
2: <laughs> no better than not, you can, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with the area. I apologise. motorware inland of Bells Beach in Torquay. Mm. So this sounds quite lovely. Um, a stunning modern take on the traditional rural garden when Olivia Tipler and Daryl Pelchin bought the property 16 years ago, it was windswept, cattle grazing farmland and a handful of established trees. With the guidance from landscape architect Stephen Reed, I've worked with Stephen at um, Town and Country Gardens back in the day. He's yep. lovely and great, great landscape architect and horticulturalist. Um, anyway, uh, they created a productive space, including a large vegetable garden and orchard with free-ranging chickens and ducks. Planted 20,000 Indigenous trees and shrubs as windbreaks, which also provide a much-needed sense of seclusion to the wide open spaces. Stephen Reed will give a tour of the gardens at 11.30am and 2.30pm on both days. So that's the 18th and the 19th of March. Entry is $10 for adults, $6 for students, under 18s are free and tickets are available online. And I think... That is all I have. I know, Stephen. I've got a couple. You have some. Yes,
2: I do indeed. Now, my dear friend uh, Chris Michaelopoulos of Dahlia fame is a member of the Sunshine um, Garden Club. And they have a group called the Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club. And they're holding uh, the 102nd Annual Garden Show on Saturday the 18th of March uh, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it's on the corner of Glengala Road uh, and Simi Street, S-I-M-M-I-E, in Sunshine, and it will have all of the sorts of things you'd expect from a community flower show, so all the different dahlias and roses and cut flowers and vegetables and herbs, and there'll be cookery and handcrafts and children's sections and photography as well. Uh, There will be a raffle, Um, plants and garden books are for sale, and the afternoon tea is a gold coin donation, uh, but the entry to the show is free. And so if you want to go along to the 102nd annual uh, uh, flower show uh, of the Sunshine Group, uh, I'd thoroughly recommend it on the 18th of March from 11 to 4.
1: Some location? Uh,
2: it's the um, Glengala uh, Community Hall uh, on the corner of Simi Street and Glengala Road, Sunshine. Oh. So if you're in that part of town, i definitely recommend it. It should be great fun. Now, um, we also have, of course, coming up the uh, Yarra Valley uh, Autumn Plant Fair and Garden Expo, Uh, and it's a little in advance uh, at this stage, but it's well worth putting it down in your diary. Uh, It's on the 22nd and 23rd of April from 10am to 5pm both days and it's 125 Quail Road, Wondon. Uh I'll be up there emceeing for the weekend um, and there's a whole range of stallholders. There'll be food, there'll be drink, uh, there'll be speakers throughout the two days. Uh, We're having a big uh, plant auction at the end of Sunday where we're selling off plants to raise money for charity. Um, So there's all sorts of things going on up there. And of course, you get to meet growers and um, it's it's a great day out. So put that in your diary for the 22nd and 23rd of April. Now, the growing friends have got a plant sale coming up too, and I've got their brochure. But if Lucille is listening. She said something at our meeting the other day about date changes and I'm not sure whether this brochure is now actually up to date. So And this
1: is the Geelong Friends. No,
2: no, this is the Melbourne Growing Friends. Oh, good. Yeah, so it's the Growing Friends for the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. Now, the brochure that came to me via the Royal Horticultural Society's um, um, Gazette um, states the dates as being the 29th and 30th of April from uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on the Saturday and 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on the Sunday. So if there is, in fact, and that's a uh, the Botanic Gardens, of course, mm. uh, just inside the South Gate, formerly Gate E, so just near where the um, you'd go in to go to the depots and the working area of the Botanic Gardens. Yes, that's um, entry is free <laughs> um, and the catalogue will be online one week before the sale so that you can see what things are likely to be available, sort of get your ideas about what you're going to go in there and snaffle up as quickly as you can. So if the dates have been changed, and I'm hoping Lucille's listening to the program, she usually does, or one of the other growing friends, if the dates are different, please ring us in and let us know, because uh, mm. I'm now confused. <laughs> so they're the main um, events going on that I have got, in fact, um, paperwork for. So Thank there you, you go. Stephen.
1: And I told a lie. I have one more. <laughs> oh, well, that's all right. Uh, Sunday the 19th of March, so next Sunday, is Garden Relief Day. So this is a program established by the Garden Centres of Australia in 2014 that focuses on the benefits that plants and gardens provide to enrich our lives. Garden centres around Australia will be exploding with colour, fun activities and information events for the whole family. At the same time, they'll be fundraising for the MITO Foundation, so MITO mito foundation garden relief promotes the benefits of surrounding yourself with living plants enjoying time in any garden savoring produce or fragrance produced from a garden so lots of sensory activities a simple or simply being able to enjoy the fresh clean air and calming view of gardens i think that sounds really good i think we all we all enjoy that don't we Research and yeah, research and studies continue to identify new ways that plants and gardens enrich our lives. Since 2015, Garden Relief has raised $350,000 for Beyond Blue. Thanks thank you to all participating garden centers, key suppliers and their customers for their remarkable support. Go to gardenrelief.com.au to find participating garden centers near you, and this message is Colour for Health, because gardens and colour are proven to be beneficial for positive mental health and well-being. So, colour in the garden. <laughs> I'm sure both of you are very strongly aware of the benefits of colour in the garden and how to design with it.
2: Well, one hopes one has some feel for it. Yes.
1: <laughs> After years of
3: doing so.
2: Yes, yes. We've both got our little
3: piles of colour in the garden. <laughs> yes. This morning. yes. Well, uh, just, just one thing. Just thinking mm. of announcement. I'd, and, and I should have checked on this before I came. But the the international the, the landscape design conference is on the yes. this coming weekend as well. Yeah, yes, it and is.
1: actually registration closes today. Yeah. So if you oh, would like, ex- right today yeah. is the final day to register. It is not sold out, but today mm. is the last day.
3: Yeah, it's so. look. It should be worthwhile. It's always it, good. It, well, Fergus Garrett will mm. be speaking, and it goes on from there. The, 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 oh the, yeah. And, And, and of course, there's been a change in the um, people running the conference. Yes, it's flowing now. And, uh, yes, and, of course, the previous conference was wiped out by COVID, so they're going to
2: a huge Mm. amount of trouble this time to make sure that it all – goes beautifully. Well, I'm not going to be able to make it, but I'm quite excited. A friend of mine from America is one of the speakers, Sean Hogan um, from from, from, uh, uh, Sisters uh, Design Nursery uh, in Oregon. And I'm hoping he's coming to stay with me for a few days after the whole event's over. So uh, that should be fun. Yes, and I understand there's a connection there with – Antique Perennials. Uh, uh,
3: they could well be. Uh, uh, so I think uh, he was instrumental in helping Antique Perennials uh, recover from mm. the disaster of 2009 at King Lake.
2: Mm. Uh, so very interesting person. Yeah, so generous. Sean will definitely be worthwhile mm. listening to, I'm sure. Yeah. And, of course, another thing we haven't discussed, oh, and that's the Melbourne International on, Flower
5: Show.
1: Yeah, I'll just say if you want more information about that conference, go to outlandishventures.au. au.
3: Good.
5: Yeah. Yeah, but so, yes,
3: and, 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 Yes, and, and be quick about it it's, yeah. it's, yes. yes I've been to a number of them And they are just
2: life changing mm.
1: Mm, yeah. Definitely They're worthwhile. every two years
3: yeah. All
2: right, so we better mention Mifkus because mm. it is one of Victoria's biggest events, yes. horticulturally speaking, and I noticed going past the exhibition gardens this morning there's marquees and things going up and, and what have you, so they're getting organised for it. Mm. Um, so that on, starts on Wednesday the 29th of March and goes through to Sunday the uh, 2nd of April, yes. and you can purchase purchase tickets online. Um,
1: Melbourneflowershow.com.au. Yeah,
2: good and uh, of course you can also buy your tickets as you go in and we all know about the Melbourne International Flower Show I mean it's been on the calendar here for goodness knows how long and uh, uh, it's always a big event uh, and you'll meet lots of growers and sellers of all sorts of different horticultural products and of course the exhibition buildings is all masses of beautiful flowers and things so it's always worth uh, putting that into your diary as
5: well oh, yes,
1: yes, it's It's a well worth going to event. I'm sure pretty much all of our listeners will have been.
2: Yes, at some point or another.
1: Yeah. And on that note, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd and with me in the studio are Jeremy Francis and Stephen Ryan. Thank you for being here. And it's time to open up the phone yes. line.
2: Yes, yes, please ring.
1: <laughs> yeah, please call us. Um, you can call nine four one nine zero one double five, or you can text us on oh four double eight eight zero nine eight double five. And if you want to send us an email to be addressed in next week's episode, then email in at 3 gardening at gmail dot com.
2: So there we go. Yeah. So ring in everybody because we'd love to have a chat to you this morning.
1: Yes, and we haven't got any text yet either. So hopefully some, some lovely people feel like texting in too. So what sort of plants have you brought in today, Stephen?
2: All right, well, before I discuss the plants, I might point out, in case people aren't aware of this, that the the lovely Liz puts these things up on our social media posts. Mm-hmm. So you can go in and see the images. I'm sure they're up there by now mm-hmm. uh, of the different plants that I've brought in and some of the things Jeremy has um, uh, with him that he's going to talk about later. So if you want to actually see the plant, if you don't know that uh, whether my – uh, description is is good enough for you to actually get a sense of what the plant is, go in and have a look at the pictures. So mm. that's the first thing I'd say. And a plant I'd start off with, um, the genus Caryopterus is a great genus of small mm. growing subshrubs that are bee magnets. Mm. The bees just adore Caryopteris. Uh, they get little blue flowers. Uh, they have a sort of an aromatic foliage. And, and they're normally lime. grey-green. In yeah. foliage. Uh, this one is a well, comparatively new cultivar called Hints of Gold, and it actually has goldish foliage with the blue flowers, which I find really rather appealing. I have to say. It works pretty well, yes. Yeah. We use it
3: in our warm borders, a yeah. uh, little strip of it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's a really nice little plant, and it flowers nice and late in the season, so it keeps the, the border looking interesting, and the goldish foliage is pretty from spring right the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, so hints of gold, Caryopteris, is definitely worthwhile looking out for, particularly if you are interested in putting in plants that attract pollinators, because mm-hmm. uh, this certainly does attract all the bees and hoverflies and anything else that likes to get it nectar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great little plant. in the Lamiaceae family, Um, and as Mm. far as I know, it's been left in Caryopterus, whereas a lot of other things have been shifted around of late, so – and uh – I think it has the stupid common name of something like blue spirea or something silly like Mm, that. Um, It doesn't make any sense to me. But anyhow, uh, I think Caryopterus is a perfectly legitimate name, so we'll stick with it. And Hints of Gold, I think, is a particularly useful plant. Uh, They're sun-loving. They're drought-tolerant. They're not fond of really heavy wet soils. uh, But apart from that, they'll grow in most sunny aspects. And it's actually one of the few gold things that doesn't seem to scorch when you get a really stinking hot day.
1: That's so, really great.
2: Yeah, so a good little plant. So hints of gold. So I definitely recommend that one. It's mm. a, a lovely little plant. And as I said, it's a great insect attractor. And we're all very enthusiastic about our pollinators now, are we not?
1: Yes. It so, looks like Jeremy's brought in some good pollinating things. Let's let's see what, what Jeremy's got. Well, lots got of here. yellows and yes. and,
3: uh, uh, and uh, one or two purple uh, mm. purples and, uh, and red. And the persicaria. Yes. Uh, and I've managed to lose track of its name. But the persicaria, we're, we're finding a really, really mm. good, uh, much tougher than people expect. That's good, um, not as much and, water uh, as you and, think. Yes, exactly. Um, and most of them come up with, um, well, far, well, bottle brush flowers, but tight mm. bottle brush flowers uh, going from whites through to pinks through Do to this find- one, which, was a, which is a crimson. Um, and um there's there's a there's a lovely one called um lalek squirrel which mm. we've grown for the first time this year which they, they, they all have interesting foliage and this one has bluish glaucous uh, foliage uh, very attractive and big bottle brush um pale pink flowers
1: do you find the eastern spinebills come oh everything yeah mm. <laughs>
3: They're cool. uh, darting across the borders the whole time. Mm. You, you just, every time you walk along, there's, there's half a dozen of them.
1: Yeah, especially if you visit Cloud Hill early in the morning or in the evening.
3: They, they seem to visit every flower three or four times mm. <laughs> during the yeah, day. Yeah. Very busy. Mm um And uh, then some of the yellows. We we started off with the warm borders, not planting yellows, but uh, nowadays we use it, that yellow really dominates. Mm. So we have a couple of the red uh gold kel, which is a double, getting up about a metre high, and um one of the heleniums, maybe using four or five of the different heleniums. And I, I absolutely think these things are fabulous. Uh, intricate little flowers um, and uh, as they drop their petals then the cones take over and so they hold their spot in the garden for a long long time. They're they're quite good through the winter as well. Um, And um, the Verbena venariensis. Yeah. <laughs> it's making itself at home, spreading mm-hmm. along both the, the cool borders and the warm borders, and it works in both of them, really. We just have to make sure it doesn't. Take it's a management over. issue, yes, isn't it, exactly, with some of these plants, is. because yeah. they,
2: they have a zest for life. They like to sell seed around. Um, but the thing I like about Verbena bedariensis as a garden plant is it's so see-through that it doesn't matter whether it's at the front of the border or the back of the border, mm-hmm. wherever it sort of comes up, you can see through the plant so you don't end up with that sort of green grocer's staging look to a border sometimes, you know, how you, Absolutely. you, yeah. you sort of plant uh, uh, with the different yeah. heights involved yes. and yeah. it can become rather staged looking.
3: Yes, Verbena bedariensis for us gets up two metres high mm. and it can be pop up right beside the path and it still makes sense
2: you're (laughs) absolutely right yeah yeah great plant but you know it 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 is i I mean i'd rather have to manage a plant than actually have to mollycoddle one Mm. and so Mm. if you've got a plant that's got a zest for life and you have to manage its excess seeding um that's sometimes better because it'll often pop up where you might not have got it in Mm. or you might not have thought to put it and it can work really well and and if it's just a matter of pulling out excess seedlings i don't see that as a major issue
5: and it, it really did... it's
3: it's something which really enjoys the heat i've been growing up for a very long time i grew it back in the 80s mm. in western australia in a very hot dry area but an area that we, which i was watering and uh, this verbena would seed at the rate of several thousand <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. per meter and it was quite a bit of fuss and bother to to weed it back to something which made sense uh, but it was still worthwhile growing i, I uh, I, I think it, it's uh, for us, it's pretty safe. I think hmm. of warmer, wetter areas, it could become a bit, immersive.
2: yeah. It could be a weedy plant yeah, in certain yeah. areas, so yes, a bit of thought about using it's probably. Well, not I'm a bad under
1: body. eucalyptus regnan, so that keeps things well
3: suppressed. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, the other one I have is uh, I've got two different miscanthus now. Um, one of them um, is if I can figure it out, yep, now that is. Um, Miscanthus nepalensis, mm. uh, which is rather a wussy Miscanthus. All yeah. the others are quite vigorous. So and, you have and to divide all the others all the time. But I've managed to lose quite a few clumps of Miscanthus nepalensis, which is a great shame because it's one of the loveliest of the lot. Mm. It, it, the tassels come out um, as a, a, a kind of a gold. Mm. A, a sort and very silky-looking. Yes, and uh, the, the beauty of them is they're good for about six months. They carry on right through autumn and winter, right right through until the spring. Uh, mm. Just extraordinary. Um, and we had a seedling miscanthus pop up right next to one of our Nepalensis a few years back, which we've been watching ever since because I, I have a suspicion it might actually be a hybrid. Mm. Uh, yeah. And this is the other. It, it, now you look at it now, and it looks like an ordinary miscanthus, except it's a little bit more gold mm. as it comes out. Most miscanthus, when they come out, have a bit of pink yes. of, uh, in them. This one is like no, no 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 real hint of pink whatsoever. But it really. But what we've noticed, number one, is it's it's a uh, um, it's a form with a really good growth habit. And number two is the flowers carrying on through the winter much more effectively than any other that we've seen. So we've been watching it for quite a Mm. few years (laughs) Mm. and we planted out a whole section of the garden with this dominating uh, that's looking absolutely at its best right now, but it will carry on. Mm. Um, So it'll be interesting. Um, I have, uh, yes, uh, the the boys at Antique, (laughs) they they have a little bit of it. i I think they might start selling it fairly shortly. Oh, good! Has yes. it been named? Well, the idea is just to call it Cloud Hill, but they, they haven't actually put a label on it yet. So mm. <laughs> so I might go home and just give them uh, have a have a conversation about this. Yeah, actually. yeah. Well, if it's <laughs> as good as you
2: say it is, Jeremy, it needs to have a cultivar name yep. so that yep. people know they're getting the right plant. Yep. So that's exactly. really important. Yep. Um, so,
3: yeah. So we're, we're using quite a few different. Uh, mm. um, I was importing them years ago So flamingo, which is a sort of a deep pinkish red uh, All the way through to saraban Which is more of a fawn colour mm. But of the lot, uh, this is the most interesting that I've seen So we are quite excited about yeah. it well, That's
1: very uh, exciting Thank PBR. you for bringing <laughs>
2: uh...
1: <laughs> Well, thank yeah. you for bringing those in yeah.
2: Alright, have we got any more Phone calls coming in yet, Emma? No, no. not oh, yet. Oh, come on, but you folks
1: please, please call us on 9419 or text us on 0488 809 855.
2: Yes, we'd love to hear from you.
1: On the 3CR Gardening Show with Emma Hurd, Stephen Re- Ryan and um, Jeremy Francis here today.
2: All right. Well, I've got some more plants, so we might as well keep going with some of mine. Now, this one's for those who like a bit more of a challenge. Mm,
1: And a beautiful one. Uh,
2: And this is the one I posted. I posted this image up on my social media yesterday without a name. I just said, we're doing it on 3CR, and uh, if you want to know what it is, you should listen in. You know, So hopefully people are doing just that. Um, It's from Asia. It's Japanese and Korean, um, and it's a very small genus, probably only of two species, known botanically as Coringa shoma, spelt with a K. And Coringa shoma have these fabulous yellow shuttlecock-like flowers on them in the autumn. It's a herbaceous perennial, so it dies right down in the winter. Um, Grows to about, I guess if you've got a really good clump, you'd almost push it up to a metre. Nice big fat clump if it's happy, but it is a woodland perennial, so it likes constantly moist conditions semi-shade without being too dark so you don't want to have it right back in the darkest spot in the garden but you don't want to get any of that hot afternoon sun on it it grows perfectly well around mount macedon it grows well around the dandenongs it may be something more of a challenge in melbourne suburbia i think but you know the right conditions if you had it in a nice big pot in a fernery or something like that you mm-hmm. might get away with it it's got large almost maple-esque like leaves which are quite handsome and the shuttle clock for Cock cockflowers are lovely. This is Coringa shoma palmata. And the other one that you occasionally come across is one called koreana, which has uh, almost black calyxes and darker stems, but otherwise they're similar. So very, very pretty plant. One of those sort of, I don't know, it's one of those sort of woodland perennials that sort of exudes class. They sort of look really special for some reason or another. Something to grow with hostas. Yeah, yeah, it would look good with your hostas and all those sort of other woodlandy plants, uh, and it carries your season well into the autumn. So I think it's a a fabulous plant. So Coringa shoma palmata – Not easy to get because it is rather slow to multiply. So, you know, it takes time to build up stock of it. And because of its specific growing requirements, it's not going to be everybody's taste in plants Mm. um, because there'd be nothing worse than having a really scruffy, miserable Coringa Shoma. So if you're going to grow it well, you need to have the right conditions to grow it in. So there you go. So it's an unusual perennial that people don't come across very often.
1: Mm, Very lovely. Thank you.
2: And I guess the other group of plants I wanted to talk about this morning Um, are what were at one stage or another completely different genera and are now all being lumped. Um, So anything related to a hydrangea that wasn't is probably now a hydrangea, to put it simply. (laughs) Um, So there's a genus that some people know out there is evergreen hydrangea, the dichroas. They're now hydrangea. And one I bought in today is one of the dichroas, and is now then um, Hydrangea febrifugia, And this is a variegated form that was originally discovered by Don Teese, and he called it yellow wings. Um, So it has a sort of a a mildly interesting but not overly overt variegation around the edge of the leaves in a sort of a, a yellowy green. And it has heads of... Pinkish flowers on it and unlike the classical hydrangea it doesn't have any of those sterile flowers around the outside so people know of the sort of hen and chicken or lace cap style hydrangea that's the sort of classic form of a hydrangea and that's what kept a lot of these other things out of hydrangea because they didn't have the lace cap form um, so these are all fertile flowers and the, the dichroa group of the hydrangea genus also has a berry-like pod instead of a dry seed capsule and this um, one
1: that you've brought in looks like it has some variegation to it. It is,
2: yes. It's likely variegated. Mm. Um, Which is and quite nice. I, I, look, I quite like variegation. Some people poo-poo them, but I think they're a useful adjunct to the garden. They just give that mm. added little bit of colour. So the uh, types, or now hydrangea, febrifugia, and versicolor, um, like the same conditions as your average hydrangea, so light shade, not too dry, uh, this particular one will push itself up to a shrub about a metre and a half mm. um, and flowers late in the season and it has this very soft pink to white flower heads on it. And you treat it like you would a classical hydrangea, prune out the old flowered wood, leave the stronger young canes in place. They'll be next year's flowers. Mm. Um, and it just – if you're – into hydrangeas, it's nice to have some of these other slightly offbeat ones mm-hmm. just to add diversity to a bed because yes. a, a full bed full of lace cap and, and, and mop-headed hydrangeas can be quite heavy yes. uh, to look at. So something lighter in amongst it just softens it a bit.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the foliage is more of a lance shape, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of and longer sort of and narrower. Of reminiscent of the Aspera group of hydrangeas. Yeah, mm. and,
2: um, yeah, I think they're rather handsome. I, I have to say Febrafugia uh, is probably not the showiest of them. Uh, I think um, hydrangea versicolor, which was dichroa versicolor, gets quite strong uh, blue flowers on it and larger leaves, is probably the more spectacular plant of mm. uh, the dichroas. And as far as I know, there is only the two species that have made their way into cultivation here. I think there's more of them in the wild, but I think febrifugia and versicolor are the only ones we've got. Um, well, will those flowers hold
3: their color uh, no matter the soil. Seem thing. to, yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah. this one stays, so, seems to stay pink. And, yeah. and so uh, it's a soft, dusky. Uh, yeah, soft, it's very uh, pale. Pale pink. Yeah.
3: Uh, look, at it, it's quite a contrast with Versicolor, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah,
2: mm. yeah, so it's quite so, different. It's much lighter and what have you. And of course, Febrifugia is a name that comes from um, uh, use as an insecticide. Um, uh, Febrifugias <laughs> were insecticides, and apparently this plant was used as a floor strew. Plant uh, to help kill bugs and things on the floor. I don't know how. So, uh, so what
3: what part of the world is this? There, uh, Asia. Asia.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. So, in days of less hygiene, uh, when floors were dirt and things like that, uh, apparently this was used as some sort of insecticide. So, I don't know how it worked, but anyhow, oh, interesting. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think they're rather lovely, and the and we'll talk about the other one. When we get round to it, because I think we've got somebody who's
1: Yeah, in. so we've got quite a few people Oh, now. good. Well so, done. Um, we'll go to Lee from Lonsdale.
6: Hello, Lee. Oh, hello. Uh, uh, the question's for Stephen. Yeah. Um, quite some time ago, Stephen, I heard you talking about scarlet runner beans. Yeah. Um, I can't find them anywhere to buy,
0: and I'm wondering where I can get them and... What time of year I plant
2: them? Well, you plant them in the spring, uh, and right. you should be able to buy them from the Diggers Club. Mm. I'm, I'm
5: oh,
3: absolutely okay. positive that you yeah,
2: can. Yeah, so I, and in fact, I think they had a couple of different forms. They had the classical Scarlet Runner with its scarlet flowers, and there was one I think called something like Pink Lady or something like that that had pink mm. and white flowers, um, same sort of beans on it, but a different flowered colour. So I, <coughs> I'm sure you would get Scarlet Runner beans from um, from Diggers. And they're also known as seven-year beans because they're actually a, sh- a perennial bean, so they keep coming back year after year for quite some time. So once you've got them in the garden, you don't need to replant them every year. They'll come up from the root systems of the previous year's plant again.
0: That's what appealed to me, actually.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I do love them. As long as you don't leave them on the plant so long, they become woody. Uh, young scarlet runner beans are really meaty and chewy and delicious uh, and quite different to your classical French beans and so forth Um, and in fact they're not the same genus they're a different group of beans Um, and I think they're a fabulous plant so yes it would be well worth your while getting them and you should be able to get them from diggers but keep in mind they only set pods when the weather's cooler and you may need to um, syringe your plants with water during the summer months to try and help them set their pods because if it gets a bit dry and warm they won't set
1: Good oh, okay. advice. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you very much for that. That's a pleasure. Thanks, Lee. Have a lovely Sunday. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Collie from Croydon. Hi, Collie. Good morning, everyone. It's your favourite, Chloe. Oh, Chloe. <laughs> Chloe, sorry. We've got you written down as Collie. <laughs> How are you going? <laughs> I'm
0: good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, Good. Look, I I, thought I'd ring up and and pester you because you weren't getting any calls. Oh Yeah, well... Um, well,
2: Suddenly we are and it's all your fault.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I won't keep you for too long then. That's all right. Question about allspice. Yeah, well, I've got this spot in my new garden and I think... And I was talking to AB about it and she suggested some, like, maybe tropical-y things because it's quite protected. It's against the south-facing wall. Um, gets pretty good light, but it'd be protected from any really cold, any frost that came along. Mm. And I've sort of been thinking about some spice plants, like allspice, cloves, nutmeg. Stephen, do you have any of those? And can no. I? No!
2: Ever- <laughs> I mean, I can't grow any of those things up at Masson, so uh, I can't be any help to you at all. I'll tell you something you could try, and I know that Peter Tees up at Yamina Rare Plants has got it, uh, is um, star anise.
0: Oh, right. Okay.
2: So, you know, the true star anise could be quite nice to grow. It has lovely aromatic evergreen foliage. Uh, it's a shrub couple of metres tall, uh, maybe a little taller, uh, although it'll take time to get there and it's always prunable. Uh, very attractive little star-shaped flowers, and then you get the star anise pod, so that could be worthwhile yeah. looking out for. But I haven't oh, seen well, any of the others anywhere. I don't know whether yeah. diggers are growing any of them down at Dramana. Um, I mean, and there's bound to be people out there doing it, uh, but it's likely to be nurseries more up in New South Wales and Queensland to be growing some of the more tropical, yeah, I've seen. Things. I've
0: seen a Queensland nursery mm. that does look like they're growing them, but they're a bit hard to get hold of because, yeah, they're pretty popular.
2: Yeah, and the other issue you've got too, of course, if you're bringing things in from... Far afield, I did this years ago with some bamboos that were supposed to be cold hardy, but I bought them down from southern Queensland, uh, and of course they hadn't adjusted to my climate, uh, they were yeah. used to having a much more benign climate, and... Uh, They didn't stand up to the frosts they were meant to because they didn't have enough time to adjust before they got their first ones and they never really flourished. So uh, it put me off uh, buying from further north uh, to a large extent. Uh, I like to get things that are sort of from further south where they've at least a little bit adjusted to the cooler climate.
0: Yeah, same. Well, the other thing that I was thinking of is what are some of the South American stuff that you have that I could put in some pots and in a small garden bed in in this particular spot? Well, there's plenty of the
2: um, uh, uh, subtropical blueberries.
0: Mm. Yeah, I want some of those. I, I really hope that when you get some that you're putting one aside for
2: me. <laughs> yeah, look, I've got some cuttings aside. struck of several of them. So there's, there's ones from New Guinea, which I have to say the New Guinean ones so far have been very spectacular in flower, but the fruit has been a bit bland uh, when I've right. tried it. So they haven't been as good in, in the actual edible steaks. Uh, the South American ones, though, have been very good. The McLenias and the uh, uh have turned out to be quite tasty berries uh and mm. the agapetes from the himalayas uh many of them seem to have quite tasty berries so okay. you could try any of those and they can also grow in yeah. hanging baskets of course so you could have them up in the air in that sort of aspect and have other things growing under them
0: yeah yeah that good
2: so Lots there's a couple of, of ideas yeah well,
0: we'll have to chat a little bit further about some of the cool weird stuff that you have because I
2: think yeah well I tell you what Um, I have got up there if you're looking for edibles but I don't know what it tastes like because I don't think it's ever been grown in Australia to the point of doing that but there's a thing called Gysanthus van der that comes from I think Ecuador, for the mountains of Ecuador, and it's in the Ooh. Primulaceae family. It has very attractive leathery dark green leaves. It's supposed to grow to a shrub or slash small tree. It gets pink to white flowers and edible berries, and I don't quite know what that means. But uh, oh. it's only been named about a decade and a half ago, so it's comparatively new to horticulture, and I've got two plants of it to sell, so I'd love them to go to people who really care. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, Chloe <laughs> and I'll <Yeah>. take one <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, Lovely. Thanks for calling in, well, Chloe. That's all right, Stephen. I might come up to the nursery after Easter. And what a good
2: idea. I want to have a chat to you about some other completely unrelated things anyway, Chloe, so I'm quite pleased awesome. you've run because I was going to give you a ring anyway. So if you are going to come up <laughs> okay, and see me at some good. stage after Easter, that yeah. would be fabulous. Oh,
0: well, good. you and I rostered on together in two weeks' time. Oh, so we are we? catch up then too. Oh,
2: well, there's that. All <laughs> yeah. right, good. I hadn't even <laughs> looked that far ahead yet. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, thanks, guys. I'll let you go. Thanks, Chloe. See have a you lovely soon. Sunday. Okay. Bye.
1: Bye. Now we have Margot from Mount Macedon. Mm-hmm. Hello, Margot. Um, I've got two questions. So I'm feeding back just a sec. Just a sec.
2: <laughs>
1: We're on hold. that
7: better.
2: Well, we can hear you. Can you hear us?
7: I can hear you now. That's it. That's much Good. better. Good. I had the hope going. Sorry, <laughs> doing everything at once. Um. I just wanted to know whether you ever have thought about a succession plan for your wonderful nursery. Because you might retire in another, you know, so many years.
5: I'm not saying you're
2: old. I'm getting there. I've got a birthday coming up in about a fortnight. So, yes, I am getting older. And, no, I haven't thought about a successional plan. I don't quite know how it would work. Um... I, I think it's one of those things I will either die in harness and then somebody will have to just deal with the uh, mess I leave behind. Um,
1: well, we love succession plans at the Royal uh, Botanic Gardens. Yes, so well, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a
2: it very... would be lovely if somebody was out there that would uh, take on my nursery when I go, but I'm not in any hurry to go. So yeah,
5: don't be going. No. Yeah,
2: yeah, so if anybody wants That's... to get involved, they can, but they're, yeah, they're not going to take over for a long time.
7: No, well, we understand that. But I'm just saying, put it in, you know, some of your mum, And, uh, you know, maybe you get an apprentice that's really interested in rare plants and things. Because once your sort of nursery goes, you know, there's that source of, of plant uh, life,
6: gone.
2: Well, and unfortunately that's already been happening a bit because you're mm. well aware, Margot, there's quite yeah. a number of nurseries that have gone or are in the, in the process potentially of going. Um, exactly. And the nursery industry is retracting yet more and more and it's rather We just sad. had Chloe
1: on the phone. Chloe Chloe will come up for a coffee with you and then... Yeah,
2: but it'll all be go. sorted, yeah. will <laughs> it?
1: succession, <laughs> succession sorted. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's right.
7: Like you and him, you and Chloe, you know younger people that are... Have these interests? Yes, and we need to encourage them to sort of, you know, have a look at these sort of businesses yes. with a view to taking them, taking them on. Yeah, as long as they don't
2: ever like want to that. be rich.
7: <laughs> yes. No. Well, I think most people in the horticultural industry understand that. Yes. <laughs> well, a I'd hope rich so. Life, no. anyway, isn't it? Because no. you, your mind is always learning. You never. Oh, know of course it, it
3: is. is. Of course there it is, is something no. to do
1: with barrier to entry, though. I think it is misleading to say that gardening is uh, accessible to everyone. Mm. Um, there are, you know, I think there are barriers to entry. Mm. Um, not to say that you shouldn't get involved. Um, I more mean financial barriers mm. to entry. You know, buying plants isn't cheap. You know? No. And I'm not saying that growers earn a lot of money from them either, but no. there's money taken every step along the way and it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting industry.
3: Yeah, certainly succession planting. Oh, instantly as that question came up I was thinking of Lamley Mm. and David Glenn and anyone knows if anyone wants to take on a really serious nursery and garden Mm. Mm. Uh, well, that's on offer at the moment, and, and that's that's mm. something for all of us to think about. Yeah, that, and seeds. A, yeah, because the, the industry loses a, a huge resource mm. if, if, yes. if, if a nursery like that just disappears. Mm.
2: I might add, uh, or put in a plea as well to our listeners, I think most of our listeners are pretty good this way, but remember that if you don't support your local small nurseries mm. and your specialist growers and, and those doing really interesting stuff, and this could seem like a conflict of interest and probably is, but... But people who are doing interesting plant material need to be encouraged and the best way to encourage them is to buy things from them. You know, don't just wander in, have a look around and go and as you walk out say what a fascinating nursery you've got. Yes. Buy something, even if it's a plant you've never heard of before. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg, necessarily. Um, uh, Probably no more than it would to to buy your lunch out or fill your tank with petrol, for goodness sake. Uh, You could buy an unknown plant you've never tried before and learn about it. Um, I mean, that's what part of gardening should be about, I think.
1: And learning about seeds and propagation,
2: mm, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, yeah. so there's lots of things about horticulture that should be sort of engaged with, but yeah, I have to say, Margot, I haven't really thought terribly much about no. what will happen uh, to my nursery in due course. Uh,
7: well, we can't let it just go by the wayside, yeah. Well, nature. I, I so will what, be what the grumpy
2: the old uh, nurseryman yeah, up there telling people would. off for uh, <laughs> years to come yet. Mm.
7: <laughs> so, we need what we need is a very robust couple of um apprentices that come, say, just one day a week, while I've still got another job doing yeah. something
2: else. Yeah, well, I couldn't afford to pay any more than one day a week for most things in the nursery at this yeah, stage. Yeah.
7: Well, yeah, but apprentices, you know, it's not the full way. Yeah. Perhaps, but they're learning.
2: Mm. And
7: if they like that sort of thing, then they it could continue. Yes, it could. So I just think it's worth really thinking about because. All right, you've,
2: you've sown the it. seed again, Margot. Mm-hmm. I have thought about mm-hmm. it a few times and just put it to the back of my mind. Maybe I do need to start thinking it through because I know a certain partner of mine doesn't want to have a bar of it if something happens to me. But there you go. <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Mm. Um, and it's one thing I've just lost because of all that rain we had last year, um, and our beautiful sandragnories, and it was like three meters big, looking absolutely oh. beautiful, mm. getting yeah.
2: From just, you know, two wet roots. Yeah, the Arbutuses hate wet know. feet. Yes. So Although having said that at the moment, know, Margot, I've got some yeah. very nice young plants of Arbutus canariensis uh, yeah, coming they're along. They're all right here. Yeah, and that one I think is a really good one. And I've also got some young plants at extremely expensive prices of Arbutus menziesii, the madrone tree from North America, which is probably yeah. the the most potentially stunning of all of the arbutuses. And Simon Rickard's got one in his garden over in um, Trentham that he got from me donkeys years ago. And it's got a trunk on it about, in the old measurements, about two feet in diameter now. And it's a magnificent tree. So I've at last got a few young ones of that.
7: I'll be up to see you supporting the little nursery.
2: Good. (laughs) All right, I'll catch up with you soon, Margot.
1: Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Margot. Bye. Now we have the lovely Anne from Northgate. We've got so many callers. It's just yeah. wonderful.
2: Oh, that's good.
5: Hello,
1: Anne. Good morning. Lovely to hear from you. How are you?
6: Thank you. I'm well, thanks. It's going to be a nice gardening day, isn't it?
1: It is, I think. Lovely autumn weather. How are, yeah. I, how are you going? You want to hear about moving yeah. your <clears throat> Yes. Yeah, so
6: it's a variegated, and I can't remember exactly. Excuse me, coughing. Variegations like sun or they don't like sun. So I wanted to move it into <clears throat> a sunnier spot and also a much tighter spot. So at the moment, it's just starting to flower. It's about two metres tall. And I just don't, before I start digging around the roots, I wanted to uh, get an idea of what sort of root system. Um, I wouldn't it has shift it. it. No. I,
2: I wouldn't shift it, abutilins do not shift well. Yeah. You're far better to start off some cuttings, get some young plants going. They do going.
1: well from cuttings. They're they fairly really easy and to they, propagate. They'll take a couple of years from cuttings, but they, they do mm. go. Yeah, you
2: know? and I've just put in some abutilin cuttings recently of two different variegated ones, uh, one called uh, Picton thompsonii, which has yellow spots all over the leaves, and mm. one called Souvenir de Bonne, which has white variegation around the edges of the leaf. Um, and I'll have plantable plants within 12 months uh, in, in, you know, 15 centimetre pots uh, ready to go out into the garden. But your old plant is unlikely to, if it survives, it's unlikely to get its vigour back. Right.
6: Thank you for that. That's great advice. Thank you. Well, it's better Can to I know also- these
2: things than to go to all that effort and, and then fail. This
6: is perfect because I would have experimented, lost it, and you're such a wonderful resource and so accessible. So I really appreciate that. Also wanted to say that, um, Ben Booker gave us some, a tonic tip on the tomatoes recently on the program. And I've used it. It's great. It works really well. So it was seaweed, um, aloe vera and
5: molasses. Oh, and
6: goodness. it's a spray, um, and it helps to take up some of the, oh, I can't quite remember, but it was. it's a great tip and it's worked for me. So I uh, always get some good benefit from Sunday morning. So thanks, everyone, for your time and your effort. Well, yeah, thanks, thanks
5: for
1: pleasure. letting us know, Anne. We'll, well, I hope Ben's listening today, but um, if he's not, we'll pass that on. Thank you so much, Anne.
6: Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.
1: Oh, that was lovely! Yeah, we've also got lots of texts. So, oh, we better get through some of those too. I guess. Get ready, hello panel. Can you tell me if belladonna lilies are a weed? I was given five bulbs five years ago, and every year they seem to duplicate. I'm terribly, not terribly fond of them, so I have dug them up and I'm going to put them in the garden waste bin. Am I therefore spreading it more? If I do that, Charlotte from Carnegie. They are considered an environmental weed in Victoria.
2: Yeah. Having said that, though, there's a lot worse ones. Yes. So I I think of them as a comparatively benign weed. Yeah. Um, If they're going into the green waste bin, they should be hot composted. So, you know, if the council's dealing with their green waste properly, it shouldn't be an issue. Because yeah. they don't dump it out into the wild. I mean, it goes into their composting system. So it should be fine. Having said that, though, there might well be a neighbour or friend or somebody else out there nearby who loves belladonna's mm. and would be very happy to take them off your hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Mm. When does the plant become a weed?
3: And, and obviously it, it is a serious weed in some parts, mm. but uh, it's, it's, it all comes back to how much trouble we go to in caring for the, um, yeah. for the property itself. And uh, with any amount of care, no, it's not a weed, but. But these things are decided that uh, on on the basis that no one's
2: going to pay attention, which is a great shame. Mm. Yeah, well, I might add too that sometimes things become weedy only because irresponsible gardeners do dump their garden waste out in the bush.
5: Mm. Uh, Uh, I mean, belladonnas
2: would struggle to get out into the bush unless we help them. Uh, If they were within your garden, uh, I don't see them as being particularly a problem. I've had white and pink ones in the garden at home for God, it must be 30 years now, and all they've done is just make they a just slightly clump. larger clump every year. Yeah. I mean, I've never had a seedling come up. Um, uh, they obviously can't jump across paths and driveways and things if all they're doing is multiplying by the bulb.
5: Mm. Yes,
2: the idea of just dumping vegetable matter into a
3: pristine environment is just outrageous. Oh. Well, I but I have seen it
2: myself. Oh, look, <laughs> we get it on Mount Macedon. Yeah, there's a dirt yeah. road uh, that runs off our main road uh, that takes you to Wood End by the back road, and there's regularly plant rubbish dumped out there there because it's right. you know it's not an often used road yep. and uh, i regularly use it as a shortcut through to wood end and i'll drive along there and there's vinker and and all mm. sorts of crap that's being dumped mm. out of somebody's car over the edge of the bank um and it's all taking root and growing and it's just yeah, it's taken
1: very seriously though um yeah Delp do take that very seriously and parks mm. vic and there's there's mm. a whole um team that investigate who's dumping it
2: so. Mm. Yes, well, I wish the people who were doing it up our way had been caught. I don't know that they have been because yeah. there's still more stuff being dumped.
1: It's hard work to track. Yeah. like mm. A lot of work goes into tracking these people down. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was driving, well, driving through the
3: Stresleckies a year or two back and came across a road verge, uh, you know, uh, just a beautiful area. And then right in the middle of nowhere, uh, Montbrescia. Mm. Uh, just absolutely thick for a couple of hundred metres. Mm. Yeah, well, it'll have been dumped and, out and there that, at some that, stage. Yeah, yeah. And someone dumped that, and yeah. it was just appalling.
2: Mm. Mm. Oh, dear. Now, have we got any more of yep. those?
1: We do. Yep. So, Verbena bonberiensis yeah, is a bushweed and probably should not be used in the Dandenong
3: Ranges. Ooh. Um, well, there again, it comes back to exactly this thing. Uh, for us, it seeds gently. Yeah. yeah and and, and, and uh, in the
2: Dandong ranges, uh, well, like I it, said, the eucalyptus
1: few... regnans really suppress it
2: yeah, at my place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I saying... would have thought in reasonably undisturbed soils, it's not likely to take off. It, it tends to self seed itself really well in cultivated. Garden Culti-
3: soils. Cultivated soils, moist soils with mm. a bit of
2: warmth. Yeah. And then it, yeah. it is, no doubt about it,
3: it's a weed.
1: Yeah, mm. I'm not saying throw seeds everywhere, but mm. um, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. look, I think it's management with a lot of things. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, we have two more callers. Robert from Mitcham, he's got a question about his cordyloin tree. Hello, good Robert.
8: Good morning, all. Thank you uh, for waiting. Okay we've got a, uh, a problem with a a tree probably about a hundred years old but, uh got a, a big one got a, a fair swelling at the base. Can any of that be cut off to uh, allow access to paving and other things and without
2: Now when you're talking be... s- uh, swelling you're talking about the base of the trunk is mm. swelling out yeah mm. yeah well i'd be I'd be hesitant to cut it away
1: no, I wouldn't.
2: There you go. <laughs> so there, there's a quick answer to it. Uh, I think apart from anything else, you might set rot into the base of the trunk because cordylines are quite um, fleshy. They're not truly a tree. Yeah. Um, and yeah. also the other thing you're likely to do is stimulate the edges of the cut into growing. So yeah. you might, in fact, have shoots come up from everywhere at the base of your cordiline.
8: That was, a, that was a, a, the end of the question. Is it likely to uh, promote sucker growth? Yeah, it,
2: it is likely to promote sucker growth or conversely uh, introduce rot into the base of the tree. And if it's a 100-year-old um I'd be more inclined to move the path away from it and just leave it alone. There you go. Yeah. All
8: right, thank you once again for uh, priceless information.
2: No, it's a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so okay. much. Bye. Thanks very much. Yes, there's something about a really old cordyline?
3: I'm just trying to imagine what it looks like—a hundred years old. No, oh, no, no, they're
2: no. a wonderful mm. thing when they're really old, because of course we thought we invented the cordline in the 1960s when the pebble garden was very popular. <laughs> uh, and you remember the pebble garden, I'm assuming, Jeremy, with its white oh, yes, pebbles and yes. scoria rocks and pampas grass, cordlines, big prickly argaves—the mm. whole thing. Generally, it came with tufts of black plastic sticking up around the edges. Mm. Uh, a wonderful piece of landscape it was. Mm. Uh, but of course, the cordyline was really popular back in Victorian times because they loved palms and, and things of that ilk yep. because it, yes. it it exuded exotica. We have some
1: beautiful heritage cordylines at the Ballarat Botanic Gardens where we designed uh, the fernery recently. Yep. Yeah, uh, with, and um, so yes, Andrea if you if you visit
2: some of our old gardens, I'm sure there's a couple of old ones at Ripon Lee. Mm. Um, certainly at Mount Macedon, there's a couple of fairly old ones in some of our old mm. gardens up there, yeah. um, and they do grow into very impressive old age. And it does make me laugh when I remember back to the 60s, just um, when they'd buy the cordline, the cordline always went under the eaves. <laughs> you could never work out why they would do that, but that's where it seemed to live. Yes. And then they try and push their sel- themselves out from the eaves.
1: Yes, but you do get some quite interesting stems, you know, <laughs> yes. doing a bit like, you know, something out of Dr. Zeus' truffalo trees. Yes, you know, you yeah.
2: But, yeah. So an old cordyline can be quite a uh, an addition to a garden, mm. and quite a number of them at Mount Macedon have got their, you know, ancient old cordyline plants that mm. probably do date back 100 years or more.
1: Oh, yes, heritage yeah. cordyline very quite stunning. Yep. Well, we've got another caller, Jill from East Brighton.
9: Hello, Hello Jill. Uh, lovely discussion. Although I, I was having the absolute chill, Stephen, when you were describing those 70s gardens. I'm thinking <laughs> of Kurt's at the end of uh, uh, Heart of Darkness.
2: <laughs> yeah. I have to say, that style of gardening does seem to have disappeared to the extent where I think the National Trust probably should classify one somewhere, yeah, uh, yeah, just for its, its historical um, connection. Yeah, uh, I guess
9: so. I yeah, guess so. They,
2: and you used to see them around those sort of 60s blocks of flats, those sort of yep. you know orange yep. brick flats, and then you'd have this sort of... Yes. Desert scape I grew, I grew of white pebbles. One of those, yes. Yeah, and those ones generally came with a shopping cart in the middle of them. Yeah.
9: <laughs> oh, yes, yes, no, it wasn't quite that bad, but yes, yes, the black plastic, the, oh. the white, the pebbles, which, of course, no matter how much black plastic people put down, always migrated into the soil so mm. that after they were, if they were ever cleared out, you could never dig there without, mm. you know, sort of shuddering to a hole oh. as your spade hit all these buried stones and And I can't quite come at quarter lines as a result. I'm I'm sorry. Well there are
2: certain plants that have a stigma for a certain age group.
9: For me. Yes. Yes, for my my age, definitely. Yeah. So you'd like uh, look, some I, advice
1: for planting would in like, a difficult spot?
9: I would. I would. Yes, please. It is a difficult spot. Um, it's next to the drive. It's a really narrow little bed. It's only six. I just went out and measured it before. Sixty-six centimeters wide. Oh, that's something. That's about, uh, it's something, but it's better than um, three hundred. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Uh, look, it was. I originally had had it planted. Would you believe with um, miniature uh, with. Um, Mondo grass because it was right beside the drive, and I thought people the drive at that stage was narrower, and if people stepped out of the car, they could step onto that. Mm. But now the drive is uh, wider. We've had and um, uh, I put I put the mondo grass back, and then I thought I know why I always hated this because we've got a, a huge Carimbia that just rains leaves down on the on the. Uh, On the mondo grass, which is not not a huge favourite thing of mine anyway, but anyway, I've decided the mondo grass has got to go, and also um, we've um, got a bit of staining on the um, rendering of our house along there. It's it's uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to explain where it is. So what I'm it's fairly. I would like some the things that grow between fifty and and seventy centimeters high. Um, it's the, the little bed is quite long. It's about six metres, but very narrow, and um, it faces south. And so, no winter sun, but it will get afternoon sun in summer. And I was hoping too, because the house is is gold colour, pale gold that something with a, a bit of variegation or something that's, and it's evergreen. That, that, that's my long list of <laughs> requirements. I yeah.
1: of uh, yes, so you could um, have a plectranthus. Or plectranthus?
2: Yeah, you could use one of the plectranthuses, uh, and there are variegated ones. Yeah, um, There's that variegated form of the South African one, Zambesiensis or something? Zuluensis? Zuluensis. I, I, I knew it was a Zulu- Z somewhere. Yeah,
9: I think it's um, sorry, how's it spelled? Plectranthus. Oh, yes, I know Plectranthus. Yeah, well, uh,
2: Zuluensis. Oh,
9: okay. Like now, as in can, Zulus. Okay, mm. now can it cope with afternoon sun in yeah. summer?
2: Yeah, they'll cope yeah. with a fair yeah. bit of sun. You'd be surprised how well they'll do. Mm. And of course, yeah. they throw their lovely little lavender flowers on them as well. Yes, uh, and it yes. should it should do fine for you in there. I would have thought. Yeah. Is, so this, is it, this under the eaves, or is it? No, it's,
9: it's not, along right? the drive. Mm. Yes, and look, there's a, a watering system, so I, right, I can okay. keep the watering
1: system yeah, maybe up. Maybe ruscus
2: up hyperglossum? might get a bit too much sun there in the summer, though. If it cops the yeah. afternoon sun, the the ruscus might mm. bleach. That was one of my yeah, first thoughts. Yeah, it will um, mm. And if it bleaches, it's going to look or- ordinary. Yeah. So, when that when does the afternoon sun come onto it?
9: Well, height of summer, I guess. But but, but yeah, no, that's about, about three months of the year. And, and it would be. From,
3: a, say, four from, o'clock or six Yeah, o'clock? from
9: about three, uh, three
3: o'clock. Right.
9: Three or four, yeah, to, you know, seven. Yeah, that, that, that's the really hot hours of summer.
3: If, mm. it, if it was a little bit later, I'd suggest suck a cocker, but... Uh, yes, yeah. so even that, maybe, I think, yes, will burn. Yes, yeah, yeah, it, that will burn. Yeah, yeah. The um, sun's coming on a little bit too early. Yeah, Plek Translis is uh,
9: the, the um, obvious one. I was wondering if... A, pel- a pelargoniums would cope there. Um, I mean, with oh, the they're winter- not going to
2: like the winter sunlessness. No, uh, yes. so I I wouldn't go down that path necessarily. I don't yes. think that would work. Is there a fence behind this bed, or what's the house?
9: The, hou- the house is behind the bed, oh, and right. um, so it's got a decorative Art Deco uh, balustrade uh, about sort of seventy meters, seventy centimeters um, above above the you know. Behind the bed, but mm. i don 't want to cover that with plants is what i 'm trying to say, house, but yeah it 's the house it's so it's quite it 's quite a you a, know, a tall tall southerly
2: yes as i 'm just trying to think and i 'm assuming it 's a concrete driveway
9: no no it's uh, it 's
2: brick it 's brick is it is it on a concrete foundation no it 's
9: no, it's not
2: oh no. so it 's just on a sand base yeah yeah well, all right well, then running bamboos are definitely out um, mm.
9: If you were willing yes, to look, would, I think they get too tall too.
2: Well, there are some dwarf ones which I was thinking might work, yeah. but um, most of the dwarf bamboos are runners. So mm. if you had a concrete path or driveway and the house you on the other side it. of it, I would be yeah. prepared to risk it because I think it would work. But if your driveway is on a mm. sand bed, I wouldn't risk the running bamboos. No,
9: no, and look, it doesn't have to be all one thing. I'm quite happy to have a little mixed bed. Um, there are some
1: uh, but- dwarf arbutalons that might
2: work. Yeah, some of yeah. the real, yeah, there are yeah. So, those little I sort of dinky, that. ones yeah. that can be worth looking into. Yeah,
1: they might yeah. work. And if you even, like, I know they say they're dwarf, but you might take the shears to them every two years, I reckon.
9: Mm. Yeah, okay, don't mm. mind doing that. Yeah, yes, but they could be business. quite lovely. Mm. Yes, I was wondering about
2: that. Yeah, yeah and they give nice flower, and there's a range of colours available in those little dwarf ones now too, mm. so they could be worthwhile looking into. But it is yes. quite a uh, challenging position. Uh, if it was yes, full shade, I'd feel quite confident to r- rattle yep. off a handful of things, mm. but because it catches that hot sun in the afternoon, yes. it makes it slightly more complex. If yes, you
3: were happy does. with a slightly smaller plant, some of the Epi mediums would work. Not all of them, but some. Mm. But, that, ah. uh, but they'll only come up about 150 uh, mil rather than. Uh, so they're yes. about uh, they're, they're quite a bit lower, but uh, mm. but uh,
9: yes, that's okay. I can have a little, you know,
3: but, some of those dotted through it. Mm. But some of those, uh, uh, well, they're... they're they're mainly evergreens, but there are deciduous, mm. uh, herbaceous uh, mm. varieties, uh, species as well. But you, you well, go for yeah. an evergreen one. An evergreen uh, one. They're, mm. And very drought tolerant and very tough in every mm. way. And, but you'd have to choose one or two of them which
2: are happier in a little bit more sun. Yeah, mm. The other plant that might be worth looking at, if you're going to dot different things along here, it's not something I'd use as yes. a, a whole border, but there's a dwarf dutzia called Nico. Um, which just makes a nice little shrub. It'll probably grow to about the 60 centimetres wide, and it only grows to about the same height, maybe a little less. And it's a massive little white flowers on it in mid-spring. And then in the autumn, it's foliage often goes yellows and oranges and things before it sheds. Right.
9: I was hoping for evergreens mostly because... um, But if you're
2: going to have a mixture of things, you could probably pop one or two of those in.
9: Okay. Could you spell it for me, please? Uh,
2: Well, it's D-E-U-T-Z-I-A. And it's D-U-T-I-Z-Z-A. NICO. D E U T Z I A. Dutzia. Dutzia, yeah. NICO, N I Double K O. Oh,
6: okay. And so you
2: there. could just have one or two of those in there just to add a little bit of yeah, diversity a bit of to it. variety. Uh, yes. and it would be quite a nice little dwarf plant that would would do quite well there. Yes. And of course so, being it's... deciduous in the winter, doesn't care how shady it is at that time of the year.
9: No, that's right, that's mm. right, yes. If I could you know, um, just, it's just that there's, as I said, some staining on the wall, so I want to keep that mostly covered or at least the eye distracted from that mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's going to be an ongoing thing. There's some, yeah, and a bit look, of a problem. plant
2: that I would normally not recommend, but there's a comparatively nice dwarf nandina um, uh, <laughs> called, I think, Gulfstream or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate the little nana one because yeah, so its leaves are all dreadfully... Yeah. Sort of, they look like they've had a what's holiday thin, at Chernobyl. What's the uh,
1: thin-leaved yes,
2: one? Yeah, well, the filamentosa yeah, is a filamentosa nice one. That's really, really pretty. And they're, and they're quite dwarf Nandinas. Yeah,
1: I would, yes. filamentosa's okay. nice.
2: No. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, so they're not all uh, yeah. horrible things, Nandinas. Some of them are actually oh, quite nice. And they're oh, tough as. To yes. And, yes. Yes.
1: and oddly yes, they enough, are. I've had, I've had penstemon do quite well in Fairly dense shade. They mm. don't flower as much, but they keep their lovely green foliage and they haven't gotten mites, which yeah, is okay. you know, good. And yes. then, you know, because you do get that little bit of heat in the summer, then you'll get a pop of flowers, mm. you know, yes. and they won't burn. Yeah. So
2: yeah, there's I mean, another sort of idea. So there's a few bits. So that oh, might help you great. fill it out. Fantastic.
9: Fantastic. Mm. Any particular penstemons that you'd recommend? I was. Uh, uh, for uh, that I, sort of position?
1: It was a great
2: sour grape.
1: Yeah, sour grapes. I mean, fairly, fairly straight.
2: Yeah, there's a nice pale pink one I think available. called Evelyn or something like that, which yeah. would be quite pretty too.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Okay. There's loads Terrific. of different ones. Mm. I have yes. far too many, actually. <laughs> but They're very
5: pretty <laughs>
2: flowers know, and they last yeah. well yeah. and they're also bird attractant. And, but I should get
1: better at remembering all their names. Yeah, so. well,
2: that would yes. help. The yeah, trouble is true. you get a critical mass of certain groups of plants in your garden and you start losing the names.
5: Yes. I've got yes. far too
2: many epimediums in my garden and I'm starting to lose the names of some mm. of those that you know I was very thingy about to start with and now I can't remember which one was which.
5: Mm.
3: We've, we've, I, I, we've, we've grown Penstem and it's a hedge. Mm -hmm. and uh, they're cutting them back hard in the uh, winter and then cutting them back halfway through the summer uh, just gently and that promotes more flowers in the autumn. They work pretty well as a hedge so long as you've got varieties with similar foliage. And just one other sort of suggestion. They come up to that right height. It's brilliant
1: advice.
2: Yeah, uh, just as another little adjunct that you could try uh, is some of the Japanese grass, a Uh, Oh, yes. That Would cope with a little bit of summer sun on it, and the variegated one is quite pretty, it has that lovely lacy, soft, archy habit to it. And yes, as long as it, it doesn't get lovely. too dry, um, it yeah, could be worthwhile no, I... looking at a conicloa. I mean, they will die down in the winter, but they when they're first dying, they go a lovely sort of strawy color and they stand there for quite a while before you have to cut them down, mm.
9: right? Okay, terrific. All right, our oh, Japanese grass is iconocloa,
2: yes, Iconocloa. it yes. starts with a. H". Sorry.
9: Oh, with an
2: H. Yes, yes, Haconicloa. Yes, yes.
9: Mm. Yep, terrific. And uh, by the way, just, you know, talking about the verbena, oh, what's its name? Oh, Bedariensis, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I planted 15 of those in my new garden at the front, and I am being absolutely besieged by butterflies, particularly the citrus butterfly, which is a really big, big butterfly for down south. Like it's, you know, about mm. more than double the size of the cabbage white, maybe three times the size, Um a red, cream, and black, and they just are in the garden all day on on the verbenas. They love them. Well,
5: there you go.
9: And uh, so yes, they've got a lot going for them. And I'm not near bushland so I'm not, <laughs> yes, not they, they
8: should, be, should be safe.
9: <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for all of that. I've got a whole list of names now to, to follow up with. Yes, well, you can really do a bit of uh, searching. Yes, yes, we'll do, we'll do. <laughs> Many thanks. You're a fabulous, a fabulous resource. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Thanks, Jill. All right. How are we going? We dealt with all of the text messages and the...
1: No, we still have text messages. (laughs) We still have text messages. So, hi, I have a worsening problem with spider mite. It's a native garden. They are mostly prevalent on the Callistamins in the past, but have moved on to the Grevilleas, woolly bush and decimated a young kangaroo apple. What's the best way to eradicate, prevent, and to deal with the removed affected parts of plants? Thanks. Love the show, Kim.
2: All right. Well, I think uh, those sorts of pests tend to be quite difficult to manage, uh, and they do tend to be bad one year and not so bad another, so... um, I'm inclined to live with them a bit, and if I have any plants that are really prone to um, red spider mite, I'm more inclined to take out the plant and plant something else. Yeah, which is exactly what we do. Yeah. Uh, They
3: they do uh, uh, azaleas, for instance. Yeah, Uh, azaleas are hopeless with it. Yeah, yeah, some of them are quite resistant and some of them are not. Mm. We've removed a lot of azaleas. Yeah,
2: yeah, and look, I think long-term, I mean, the only way you can deal with them is, in fact, to use a spray, and all sprays are potentially poisonous and they can have an impact on the broader ecology. And sometimes you disbalance nature because there's probably something out there predating them as well and you'll probably have an impact on those. So I tend to take the what I think is the... Uh, gentler path out, which is to remove plants that are really badly affected. I mean, I had a hedge of um, Luma apiculata, the cinnamon bark myrtle, which I thought at the time I planted it was a damn good idea to make a lovely hedge, mm. and it used to get red spider mite like you wouldn't believe. Oh, that's terrible. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so I, I got the beneficial bug people, and I got some beneficial bugs to mm. release to try and control it, and they had a bit of an impact on it, but they didn't clean it up, so the, the plants themselves always look shabby and they started to become sort of like a pleached alley from the bottom because the lower branches started dying off. And I actually pulled out a whole hedge. I thought, well, I can't mm. live for the rest of my life managing this and if I've got a spray every year, um, then it's just going to be a nightmare. So out it came an Escalonia Ivy I went in, um, mm. which wasn't my way of thinking as good a hedge in some ways, but it doesn't get the red spider mite. So, you know, so I look at things that way a bit. Yeah, yeah, well, and
3: just, just having plants that are tr- that allow the red spider mite to build up in numbers uh, yeah. puts pressure on other plants yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's, so, it's plant choice and it's, it's uh, water, you know, uh, if there's too much drought or too much. But t- plants are choice. Yeah, look, you else. can yeah.
2: sort of, you know, uh, syringe your plants with water through it and yeah. it helps a little bit. Yeah, but if yeah. you've got a plant that's really prone to red spider mite and mm. lacewing and all those things... They're very hard to manage and, mm. uh, and you know, it does come down to poisonous chemicals sometimes and I just won't do it. No, I, we, we don't use chemicals uh, with something like spider mites, certainly. Mm.
3: Uh, sometimes uh, uh, just uh, improving the nutrition of the plant helps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and
2: aeration around your plants sometimes helps. Mm. But at the end of the day, you've got to admit there's some yep. plants that just yep. are not easy yep. to keep uh, if they're uh, going to uh, keep them clean.
1: Yeah. and And, and as far as... Uh, did you already discuss what to do when you prune it and
5: discard it? Oh, discard? It? No, no, we haven't because mentioned.
1: Because I, I would say best to put it in a, a black plastic bag and let it sweat for a bit before putting it in your green waste
2: bin. Yeah, yeah, sort of kill off the Yeah, the I don't
1: like using plastic, but um, it's... It works quite well. well you just can keep reusing that, the bags for yeah, yeah, so the just, same
2: sorts of jobs. Yeah. I use them occasionally for um, weed that I can't compost, you know, so you mm. whack them in a black plastic bag and let them cook out in the sun for a while mm. uh, and then eventually you can put it in the compost once you're confident that you've killed it.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's probably as much advice as we can give on the spider mite. So we've got another text message. Morning, Stephen, Emma and Jeremy. I'm looking for a special specimen tree for my garden. Have lots of space in full sun. Other trees in the immediate area are bottle tree, silver and golden elm, Wollemi, Bunya Bunya, golden elm, Himalayan pine, large gums and silky oak.
2: Quite a mixture.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, wow. it's arboretum style with avenues and a dam. Would like something to provide shade and sit under and also to see under as it is the central area. Thank you, Daryl. So you from, they
2: want a canopy tree. Something he's from Currumburra. All right, well, there's lots of things you could grow in mm. Uh If you want something reasonably quickly, you could, could do far worse than planting one of the catalpas. hmm they grow fast, big leaves, handsome tree, lovely flowers, and there's a whole range of them out there now. I mean, you've got the gold and the purple leaf forms of catelpa. You've got the straight green leaf one. You've got the Chinese catelpa. You've got the Western catelpa. Hmm. Um, so the a whole range are of
1: great. I really, I think that is a really great.
2: Yeah, and they can be canopied up quite well.
0: Yeah.
3: Yes, the Acer rubrum's. The, uh, they're, they're fairly quick, and
2: mm. I, I presume something which lets through winter sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my um, only hesitation with some of those aces, uh, those sort of lipstick maples, is mm. some of them don't tend to be very, um, uh, very stable because they um, tend to have the, the crotch the best branches. One, the, yeah.
3: The best one is October Glory, and yeah. that one does need. Um, a little bit of work as it's growing, it tends to grow so strongly Mm. that it sends off uh, – you have the leader sort of finishing one season and then you have four buds taking off the next season. And for the first three or four years, it's important to climb up and just nip off three. Yeah, uh, keeping a central leader. uh, Yes, make sure it's got Mm. a central leader all the way through. Mm. It's an absolutely outstanding tree in every other way. Mm. It is just extraordinary. Mm. But it it just needs that
2: little bit of work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've had one other slight thing about some of those trees is they are being used a lot. Hmm. And if I was planting an arboretum and this guy's got his my pine and he's got quite a few sort of slightly more obscure trees, I'd be trying to plant something that everybody else hasn't got. Mm. I mean, that would be be for me one of the things I would want to do. What about polonias? I think they're uh, they're a problematic tree. They grow fast, but they're inclined to sucker. Yeah. um, And they're not always stable.
1: Yeah, I think catalpa's much better. Yeah,
2: catalpa's are great. I love catalpa's. Another thought I had just in passing, because I've got a nice batch of them at the nursery at the moment, um, are the Japanese walnuts, some of the... Walnuts are fantastic Mm. and um, um, Juglans Aliantha gets leaves that are about a metre long. Mm. And so if you wanted something really impressive, uh, and of course walnuts get big, heavy, solid branches and they they make a very beautiful canopy tree. Uh, They do get edible nuts, although they're smaller than the commercial walnut, Mm. Uh, (coughs) but it's just a big and impressive and interesting tree. Mm. Um, And, of course, you could look at uh, if you've got, Plenty of space as this gentleman seems to, you could look at some of the horse chestnuts.
1: Mm. Well, there you go juglans, aces, the, or catalpas.
2: The Indian horse chestnuts, that's an interesting one. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so Aeschylus indica
3: would be worthwhile looking at. Yeah, yeah, it flowers a little bit later than the European one and, and has cleaner foliage and, and it's much more interesting. Yeah. So there mm. you go. And, and much more heat tolerant as well.
5: Mm. Yeah,
1: that's wonderful. Good, good advice. Now we've got Fermi from the Ferny Creek Hort Society.
2: Good morning, Fermi. Hello, good
1: morning.
8: Fermi. How are you?
2: We're good.
1: Sorry to keep you waiting.
8: That's okay. Um, just, uh, I was just—I know you mentioned right at the start of the program the Fernie Creek um, Plant uh, Collectors um, Expo, which is on uh, for the second day today, mm-hmm. and I'd really recommend people to go get up there. It looks like it's going to be a good day. Um, uh, I was there yesterday... Mainly inside the hall because I was helping Jane Tonkin on her stall mm. and selling seeds for the AGS stick group. And um, I was going to promote that. Um, and, of course, Meryl Johnson. is there. A lot of our, our old favourites are all there at, uh, at Sturney Creek. And, uh, of course, Treasured Perennial is there as well. And uh, Alan Aiton, who is one of our AGS members who comes down from uh, Tambangalanga or somewhere up that way, and uh, he has got an incredible range of uh, small growing plants. So, uh, you know, people are getting smaller gardens. They need to look at these sort of smaller growing
1: plants. Mm. Yes, that's wonderful. Thanks for letting us giving us a bit more information about it for me.
8: Yeah, but um, I was just going to say about the AGS group. It's we're on plant, uh, we're on Jane Tonkin's stall. Mm-hmm. She's got the uh, the stage of, inside the the front door of the, the hall. And uh, an incredible range of bulbous plants. And, you know, if people uh, want to uh, grow something other than daffodils and tulips in their garden and for bulbs, mm. um, she, you've really got to come up and see what Jane's got. And she's got things like um, um, Canarina canariensis, the climbing Campanula relative mm. with the big orange bell um, bellflowers, uh, which you rarely see anywhere and she's got that for sale. Um, yes. not cheap, but, um, you know, you're not going to see it anywhere.
2: Yeah, you, don't required, Eve right. Salah, Ron <laughs> you don't buy Yves Salaron at Target. Sorry? You don't buy Yves Salaron at Target. So if you want quality, you pay for quality.
5: Yes,
1: it's a great yeah. metaphor. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yes, you're totally Thank right. Stephen,
8: family. you've summed it up really well. <laughs> but yeah, if people want to get up there now it is ten dollars to get in. You drive up to the, the front gate of Fernie Creek at hundred Hilton Road and then you're diverted off to the um to park on the Fernie Creek Reserve. Don't make the mistake I did, which was to drive into the Fernie Creek Reserve because you can't get into the parking area and it's a longer walk from the uh, the, the, the the clubhouse there to walk up to the um uh, the the
5: all, Oh, well, like,
2: good yeah. exercise for you, though, Fermi. Yeah. And not when you're carrying a tray of plants. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
8: Well,
1: do they have trolleys? Any trolleys?
8: Um, I didn't...
1: To oh, borrow? they do
8: have trolleys. If People have got um, something really big they've got to take out to their car. You can ask one of the Fenny Creek uh, committee mm. to borrow one of their, their trolleys.
5: Yeah, thats uh, most good.
8: people were buying things and, um, you know, the, the, the car park from the... Um, Tony Creek Reserve up to the uh, the hall isn't that far really because you get in through you don't get in through the main gate and have that that wandering scenic drive up to the hall you, yes. you just drive get, come up from the the reserve and then walk across to the, uh, the the buying area is actually right there when you walk in because uh, they've got that I think it's the linden lawn has got yes um, all these uh, marquees on it and. All these different things. The Australian Bulb Company, uh, who we are selling, as somebody told me, Stephen was touting for the White House boys' um, um, begonias. The she has got some of uh, their their. Uh, what do you mean, touting? Just pointing
2: it. out to people what fabulous plants they have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not touting. Yes, yeah,
8: advertising on the ABC, though. Stephen. <laughs> I,
2: I get away with it, so leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs>
8: Well,
1: thank you so much for calling in, okay. Fermi. We appreciate your time.
8: Okay. Thank you. Bye.
1: Bye.
2: All right. More text messages. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, don't forget I've got one plant that's there we haven't discussed and if we can get a couple of minutes to do it at some point, Let's I'd just like do to... it now. All right. Uh, it's another hydrangea, believe it or not. Hmm. It used to not be. This was a thing called um, uh, Physostegia Oides uh, and I originally imported this plant from Christopher Lloyd's garden, Great Dixter in England, where they had a big one growing up a wall there, and it's a self-clinging evergreen climber that flowers in the shade, and there's not many things that do that. And the Pylostegia was in its own genus because, again, it doesn't have any of the sterile flowers in its flower. So it gets this open, fluffy mass of white stamens, Um against a really glossy dark green leaf and in semi to full shade on a wall or fence, it is just gorgeous so uh, you get this fabulous foliage all year round Um, like most of the climbing hydrangeas it flowers on the wood that sticks out off the wall so you don't want to be pruning it back to the wall all the time or you'll never get it to flower Mm -hmm. Um, and although you can't really smell it in here it has a sort of a slightly honey scent when you've got a big plant of it in bloom so it's even slightly perfumed Um, and so it's now hydrangea viburnoides so there you go. So I think it's a lovely plant, and uh, I was quite excited to get it through customs years ago. Yeah, um, lovely
1: shiny leaf.
2: It is. It's got a lovely leaf. It's almost, it's sort of that big leathery, rich green leaf that you sort of expect of tropical plants mm. almost. And little um,
1: like star inflorescence. Yeah, It's very pretty. Very yep.
2: fuzzy. Uh, it grow up a trunk of a tree. I it imagine. would if there was enough moisture at the base of the tree because, of mm. course, no. the trouble with big trees is that yes. it's <laughs> often really dry at the foot of a big tree. Put um, some
1: mushroom compost at yeah, the bottom.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it could be done. I mean, if you've got, you know, enough irrigation or you're in a cool enough climate. I mean, I've seen similar th- um, hydrangeas, the different climbing ones, growing up trees in damper climates. So, mm. you know, you go into the you know. forests of Chile and there's hydrangea Integrafolia growing up the trunks of the nothophaguses. Yeah, Um, you don't want to
1: cover your buttresses, but if you can build up the soil just a little bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, So it'd certainly be worthwhile considering, and I've got a couple of clients up on Mount Macedon that are trying to grow climbing hydrangeas up their um, Douglas firs, and they're Douglas firs with trunks <laughs> on them about you know, two metres wide. They're and, seriously and, old trees. And they, they have a massive root system. We, we have a couple of those. Yeah, One of the world's three tallest trees,
3: the Douglas fir. Yeah, Yes, mm. it's,
2: it can grow big, and the ones up at Mount Macedon I'm thinking of, oh, ah, yeah. they're serious trees. Uh, and the climbing hydrangeas with a bit of irrigation are doing quite well. So, yeah, so it's another group of interesting plants. So, yeah, so that one's Hydrangea viburnoides now, but you will find it as Phileastegia viburnoides in most literature.
1: Mm. Well, don't run away after the show because I want to buy some of the plants you brought
2: <laughs> in today. Oh, uh, dear. But, but, I, I did not bring them in to tout, as Fermi put it. <laughs> no, but you brought
1: them all the way here, so yeah. I might as well just grab them from you. But <laughs> enough about me buying plants. Let's get on to some more text messages. Uh, Someone says, Chloe could grow cardamom, uh, black zapote, guava, curry bush, uh, eucalyptus, mountain pawpaw for that tropical look. John from Bond Beach.
2: Mm, yeah, she could grow an, any number of those plants. Yeah. One or two of them might get a bit big for the aspect she's talking about. But, mm. uh, yeah, why not?
1: And then someone says, Belladonna's fantastic on our dam. Um and only clumping, have Mm. not spread by seed.
2: Yeah. Yeah, look, in lots of areas they're quite benign. So, you know, I think there's a lot of worse weeds out there we should be concentrating on than worrying too much about something that has a zest for life but doesn't move around terribly much. Mm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: The next person says, hello, thank you for the show. We have a narrow sunny strip in the front of a brick wall in Bendigo. Have previously lost a very young banksia in this area and a young correa is now not well tips on one large branch have wilted and leaves are curling and colored kind of uh Fogged with white spots, uh, <laughs> no insect evidence. I think that would be mites. though.
2: Yeah, sounds yeah. like mites, yes. Um, yeah, have, you don't actually see a mite. You see mm, its you see it's yeah. uh, damage that it does more than anything else.
1: Yeah, have previously lost a courier suddenly and don't want to lose this one. Yeah, I'd treat it for mites, but mm. it might just be too dry soil there.
2: Well, it could be now, but the other thing you've got to remember is we've been through three, well, two and a half years of La Nina mm. and a lot of things got too wet yes. and the... The symptoms of too wet are similar to the symptoms of too dry because the root system gets damaged in either case and the plant can't take moisture up. So if something has been too wet and then you get a dry spell, the root system's damaged and that's when the the symptoms tend to show up. Yes,
3: yes, as it has over the last few weeks.
2: And I have to say, if it's a sunny spot like that, uh, they might be better to go for some of the clistamins and things like that which will Mm. cope with more wetness.
1: Yes, I agree. I think that's good advice. Uh, someone writes in and says, Stephen, so good to hear you haven't got any plans for retirement, <laughs> as we are still searching for land to steward in South Gippie and want to do a big shop at your nursery. Yay! For unusual edibles and more. Once we find a patch, keep on keeping on, Wendy, in Winona, oh, temporarily. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that's lovely. Oh, that's very sweet.
1: Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just going to keep going through these text messages. Sunshine Golden Age Garden Club um, 102nd annual show is Saturday the 18th of March. Free admission. Now, did you mention that? All- yeah, yeah, I did.
2: Uh, yeah, I thought good. we gave the date as well. We did. Yeah, right. I'm sure we did. That's right. uh 'cause Because I had all of the information from uh, uh, Mr. Michaelopoulos. Yeah, uh, sorry, I shouldn't have
1: reread that one. But yeah. lovely, thank you for texting in. Um. And then we've got, I'm a novice beekeeper. Has the season been poor for bees? I am concerned that bees have not enough food over winter. Sam in Thornbury.
3: I, I walked past a sedum yesterday with a hose and accidentally disturbed about 10,000 bees <laughs> rising from this mm. fairly mm. substantial sedum. A lot of things so, are, are slow this year. So so, so they, 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 those bees were happy. Mm. I, I would sort of dart backwards.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's the last text message we'll have for today and, unfortunately, yes. I have to wrap up. We, yeah, because we've run we out of time. we sped to the end, but mm. thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Big thanks to our producer, Tom. Uh, he's done a stellar job this morning. Thanks to Liz for doing our socials. Thanks to Stephen Ryan and Jeremy Francis for sharing your time with me this morning on The Gardening Show and all your gardening adventures with me. Um, yeah, and finally, thanks to our listeners for tuning into the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Emma Hurd, and it's been so lovely talking with you all about gardening. Toodle, pip! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast, produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.